Well, hello there. Can you guys hear me? Yes. All righty. So for those of you who don't know me, I am Logan Popic. And uh, today I'm going to be giving our message. Uh, actually, I'm going to try to get the title up there. Um, so today is going to be a little different. I thought, since I was going to be preaching, I didn't want to go into some excerpt of the Bible and talk about what somebody did and talk about how it relates. Because sometimes I can get a little boring, uh, if we're being honest here. But uh, So today I thought I would focus on you and focus on me. And I wanted to focus on us as individuals and really get down to asking ourselves some core questions. Because this lesson, whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you're somebody who believes in God or not, I feel can really impact your life. Because today I'm going to try to ask you three questions. Just three. If you miss everything else about this lesson, all I ask is that you ask yourself these three questions. All right. And I know it can be difficult. We lose our focus. And I'm not going to ask you to tell me your answers. I'm going to ask you to analyze yourself. Because these are questions I ask myself and I analyze in myself, and I think they help me grow. So the first question I'm going to ask you is a complicated question, and it's really interesting. And it is, are you a lobster? Wow. Is it not? Uh, this may, are you a lobster? Simple, right? So uh, I could sit here and explain to you what I mean by this, but I'm probably going to do it wrong. So I thought we would have somebody wiser than I explain it. And if we could play that video for me, that'd be great. So if you guys didn't catch that, what he's basically saying is that growth comes through stress, comes through yeah. confining situations. Yeah. And lobsters are actually not the only scenario we see this in nature. We see the same thing with diamonds forming under pressures and same with pearls. And it's a common theme and it's even found again in the Bible in James. In chapter 1, 2 through 4 and again in 12, I'm going to read it for us real quick. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
So we see this. We see this in the Bible. We see it in nature. We see this theme of growth under pressure. And the question I ask you today is, are you a lobster? Are you somebody who is willing to grow under pressure? Because Christian or not, disciple or not, one thing you have to ask yourself is, am I going to be somebody who looks at stress, that looks at trial, and says, let me welcome it so I can learn? Or are you going to be somebody who shies away? Are you going to be somebody who pops that Percocet and says, I can't take it anymore? Because this is a question we all need to ask ourselves. We all have our own sob stories. We all have our own trials. I had my own at 12. I, if for those of you who don't know, I had an alcoholic mother. And I had to grow up with that. And I had many conflicts and trials and things like that. And it taught me that I needed to grow from those situations. Not that I need to use them as an excuse. But it was an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to mature, an opportunity to not make those unwise decisions. So I asked this question because I was asked this question recently in English. I was asked, are you a lobster? And I watched that same video you just watched, and I told myself, absolutely, I am. I thought immediately to this passage in James, I am a lobster because I look at trial and I say, I'm going to grow. I did it with that trial in my life. I can do it with anything. But immediately my words would be tested. Immediately after that confidence, I'd be shooken real quick. Because I got a new trial on my doorstep right after. The trial I faced was a trial of time. I was given more on my plate than I had had in a long time. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a pretty decently academically smart person, but I take a lot of time off. Uh, I pushed myself my first two years of high school. I did as much as I could and went to as many honors and things as I could. And I really pushed myself. And then after my sophomore year, I really let off the brakes. I was like, you know what, I'm chilling. I'm going to take the easy classes, call it a day. So I really hadn't been tested in a long time. I really hadn't had to struggle in a long time. I'd really just been doing the bare minimum. And this week, right after I wrote that sentence, I got assigned a six-page essay and then a four-page essay, which would later be redacted, and I have to write another four-page essay. So about 15 pages. And as a writer, it took me about three months to write 10 pages. And I had to write these 15 pages in four days. So I was not prepared, and I was not willing. And then I had calculus, then I had chemistry, then I had a chem lab, a chem test, I was starting my work, I had to go to court for two tickets, and then I was gonna preach this lesson, and I was like, "Ah, when am I gonna do all this? And so I got challenged. I got challenged in priorities. What am I gonna make time for? Who am I gonna make time for? When am I gonna get things done? What am I gonna cut out? Because we have to ask ourselves those questions. I was given these tasks, and I had to make the choice of what was I not going to do? What was I going to do? What was I going to put first? And luckily, that trial ended up bettering me. It ended up teaching me that I could prioritize, that I could accomplish this task, because I needed that going into the semester, because it's going to be a lot more difficult for me. I need to know that I could do school, that I could do work, that I could do church, that I could still have friends, still have family. I need to know that I could balance all those things. And so this trial brought growth. But the problem with that is that trials don't guarantee growth. Trials give us the chance to grow. And I stress the word chance because there's an important part in this James passage that says perseverance finishes its work. It doesn't tell us that once you go through a trial, you're fine and dandy, you're going to come out great the other side. We need to persevere through our trial. We need to succeed. We need to strive. We need to have the drive, the passion to complete that trial. Because a trial isn't easy. That's why it's a trial. It's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to challenge you. It's supposed to be a win and lose scenario. So my question to you 
after Are You a Lobster is, what is your drive? What is your purpose? What is your why? Because anything in life, anything you want to succeed in, anything you want to challenge yourself in, needs a why. Because you're not going to succeed in anything if you're just doing it for the heck of it. You're not going to succeed in anything just moving forward. You need a purpose. If your purpose is to go to the gym, but you don't know why you're doing it, you're going to definitely sit on that couch and not go anywhere. You're not going to get up at 3 in the morning and do something like that. You need a why. If your why is you need to be healthy and you are convicted by that and that is what you're choosing to do, then awesome, do it. So, in Christianity, you need the biggest why possible. The question is, why are you here today? Why are you sitting in this church? Do you believe in what is in the Bible? Do you have a reason for being here? Are you here because you know somebody else who goes here? Are you here because it's simply what you do? You're used to it. It's the 4 o'clock schedule. That's what I do. I show up. Or are you here because you have a real reason? You have a real purpose. Because let me tell you something. You're not going to make it through Christianity because you know somebody who's a Christian. You're not going to make it through Christianity because it's your routine. You're going to make it through Christianity because you have a drive, you have a purpose, you have a desire to see things done for Christ. And that is the number one question you'll be asked as a Christian or as somebody who believes in God. Why do you believe in God? Why are you a Christian? I get asked that so consistently. I get asked that by my family. I get asked that by people I see at school, my teachers, friends. Why do you believe in God? And originally, I had a why. It wasn't a great why, but it was my why. And my why was because I believed with an absolute certainty that what the Bible said was true. And if I believe that that was true, then I'm a fool not to follow it. And that why was good for a time. And it got me to a certain point. But at some point, that why wasn't enough to push me forward. It wasn't enough to get me through the difficulty. It wasn't enough to keep me spurring on as a Christian. And so I had to redefine that. And it didn't come easy. I didn't just come to that, oh, I need to redefine why I'm a Christian. It came to me because I had so many people come up to me and say, like, oh, well, you're probably figuring out what's your why? What's your purpose for this? Why are you here? And I thought about it. It's like, oh, it's simple. It's, I'm a Christian. It's what I do. But it's more than that. Your why is the drive behind everything you do. And so I looked at it. I took a step back, and I was trying to ask myself, why am I a Christian? And I came to this analogy. I came to this analogy that appears commonly in the Bible. And it's an analogy that we are soldiers for Christ and Christ is our king. We see it all over the time. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are his servants. And there's soldiers and there's an army and there's a king. If you know anything about an army and a king or even chess and a king, you know that no matter what, a soldier will lay down his life for his king. He will do everything to keep that king safe. In chess, you'll sacrifice every last piece to keep that king from falling. And if we are Christ's soldiers and he is our king, then we have it backwards, don't we? Because it's not us who laid down our lives for Christ. In fact, it's the other way around. The king stepped out of his high castle, and he laid his life down for you. And you can choose not to believe that. You can choose that you really do believe that. But ultimately, he died for you first. And ultimately, we have it backwards. It's us who should be living that sacrifice for Christ. And not the other way around. And so that was my new why. If there was somebody who cared so much about me that he didn't even care if I believed in him, let alone followed him, that he would lay down his life and take every last pain and suffering that he could imagine for me, to give me the opportunity to choose that. And that was my new why. That was my new purpose. That I don't deserve that. 
And so you know what? I'm going to work every day until I can get as close as I can to that. I want to emulate that. I want to be that for somebody else. I want other people to see that, what I saw. And so I wanted to look at an example in the Bible, uh, David's example, actually, as his why, why he would take on Goliath. One of the biggest trials he would face in his entire life. The trial that would send him forward into becoming the king, David, that we know and love. The David that has a heart after God. And so we see here that it says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so David knew his why. He knew in his heart that he was going to fight this Philistine, rain or shine. He was going to take down the greatest warrior this world had ever seen with a stone. Because he knew that he was not going to let somebody defy his God. He remembered his past victories with the lion and the bear, and the Philistine was going to be no different. David knew his why. David knew his purpose. He knew he was serving God, and dang it, if somebody was going to stand in his way, they were surely going to fall. Because he knew his God was with him. So do you know your God is with you? Do you know your why? Do you know why you're sitting here today? Because if you don't, you might want to ask yourself your last question. And your last question today is, are you a fan or are you a player? And if you're confused what I mean by that, let's define what a fan is. So, we can all see here, we got fans with face paint, they're cheering. So a fan is spirited. A fan of Christianity, he's there, he's sitting in this church, he's like, Woo, God, yeah, I got the bumper sticker, I got the Bible, I got this whole thing, I'm a fan, let's go, I'm happy to be here. They are spirited, they're probably more spirited than I am. I see fans, we were at the football tournament, there are people screaming, there's people cheering, I'm sitting here playing the game and I don't even care that much. It's insane. Fans are spirited. They care. They're there. They show up. They're there with us. They show up. A fan, they go to church. They'll be at the event. They'll be at the Bible talk. They'll, they'll be there. They'll show up. A fan is at the game. Because they care. They do. But a fan, they spur others on. They're tapping your back. They're like, ooh, I'm so glad you baptized that person. Oh, you're awesome. You reached out. I'm happy for you. You had a great victory in God. Woohoo, let's go. But ultimately, a fan is on the sidelines. A fan, when it comes game time, you can look all you want, but they're there in the crowd. Because ultimately, a fan doesn't play the game. They can spur others on. They can clap all they want. They can cheer. But they're on the sidelines. They don't have the skill. They don't have the drive. They don't have the determination. They don't have the will to play the game. And it's great. There are so many fans of Christianity. And I'm happy to have them. They cheer us on. They're great. But a fan is on the sidelines. A player, on the other hand. A player is focused and determined. A player knows darn well he's going to get on that field and he's going to play this game. He's not here willy-nilly. He doesn't get on this field and like, what am I doing? He is determined to win this game. He is focused. He knows what he needs to do. He knows his job. He knows his place. And he knows that because he practices. He practices what he preaches. 
He doesn't just sit and watch other people do it. He takes it upon himself to practice it. Because you don't get into a game playing for the first time. You have to be diligent. You have to take it on yourself to do it day in and day out. Because Christianity isn't a Sunday night battle. It's an everyday battle. So you've got to be practicing it every day. And a player competes. A player doesn't get on that field to have fun. A player runs the race as if to win. In Christianity, we don't fight the fight to just be in it. We fight the fight to win it. We fight the fight to learn more about God. We fight the fight to help others. We help others love, help others learn. A player doesn't just get on the field. They compete. The most important thing about the player is that he is in the fight. He's not on the sidelines. He will be in that game. He will be there with you, blood, sweat, or tears. Because when it comes down to the moment where people get to find, ultimately, you're going to find yourself either on the sidelines or you're going to find yourself on the field. So if you're not sure what your why is, if you're not sure if you're somebody who grows under pressure, are you a fan or are you a player? Are you somebody who's willing to step onto that field and say, you know what, I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to fight this fight. Or are you somebody who would rather watch others do it? Because you're scared. It's not easy. One thing that stuck with me is I had a coach one time. Um, I played football. I was in high school. I played what was called a corner, and that's the guy who covers the receiver, the guy who catches the ball. And so my job is basically don't let the guy catch the ball. Don't let him go downfield. And so one play happens, the guy throws the ball, it's like an 80-yard throw, I'm right there with the guy, and I just watch him catch it. I'm there, I'm ready to do what I need to do, but I just watch him catch it. And I tackle him afterwards, he scores a touchdown, and I come back and I'm like, oh, this sucks, because the coach I had is somebody who yells and screams and tears people's head off when they screw up. But when I got to the sidelines, my coach took me aside and calmly said, he said, you know what, Logan, you're a great athlete, you know what you're doing, but one day, you got to wake up and play the game. And what he meant by that is I had all the tools to succeed. He wasn't faster than me. He wasn't bigger than me. He didn't know how to do something fancy that I didn't. He was an even match. But ultimately, my fear stopped me. Ultimately, the fear of screwing up is what stopped me. The fear of giving up that big play. So one day, I had to wake up and play that game. I had to wake up and realize that the difference between him and me was he was willing to take the chance to succeed. I wasn't. And so I had to ask myself, am I somebody who's going to wake up and play the game? And I had asked that to myself about six months ago. I was a fan. I was on the sidelines. I said the right things. I cheered people on. But I wasn't in the fight. I was scared. It took a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot of conviction. So I was more than happy to watch others do it, more than happy to help others achieve that goal, but not willing to do it myself. And I could see that in myself, and I didn't like that in myself, but I wasn't willing to stop it. And ultimately, I had to have a wake-up call. I had to ask myself that same question my coach asked me, and I had to ask myself, am I going to wake up, or am I going to be comfortable? Because ultimately, I could care less if I'm uncomfortable. I could care less. I want to grow. I want to be the lobster. I want to know my reason why. I want to be in the fight. Because that's what matters. And I know it can be difficult. I know it can be hard. And I know it's not the most fun thing. 
But ultimately, I want to run the race to win. And I want to leave us with this passage in 1 Timothy. It says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So I want to remind you guys, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or not, fight the fight of your life. Because you're only here for a while. You can stay as comfortable as you want, but that's not going to get you anywhere. It's challenge, it's growth, it's perseverance that build you. And so, even just looking at it from a person, looking at it from your own individual sense of being, are you somebody who wants to fight the fight? Are you somebody who wants to persevere? Or are you more than happy to sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else do it? So that's what I ask you today. Ask yourselves those three questions. Are you somebody who's willing to grow? Are you somebody who knows why? Why do you want to grow? Why are you taking on the task that you're taking? And are you going to be in the fight? Are you somebody who's going to stand up? Are you somebody who's willing to challenge themselves? Because that's what matters. Thank you. That concludes my lesson. Uh, I'm just going to pray us out real quick. And then you're all dismissed. If you want to bow your heads with me real quick. God, I just want to thank you so much that we get to come here, that we get to learn more about you, Lord, that we get to examine ourselves, Lord. I ask that um, please just stay focused on you, that we really be able to analyze ourselves, really be honest with ourselves with where we're at, God, that we just be able to really search our hearts, God, that we be able to come to you and just be able to be open with you, Lord, and just learn from you, God. I thank you so much for the people here, Lord. I thank you so much that we have so many people around us willing to help and willing to love, Lord. I ask that we just be able to serve you and be able to love you, Lord. And in your name, amen. amen.